Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. We have a very special guest today, I'm happy to say. Uh, We have Mary Reynolds, who is a former gold medal winning garden designer at Chelsea, the youngest ever at that time, I think, uh, an author and now a nature activist. And Mary describes herself as a reformed garden designer and says we should be guardians of our planet and no longer gardeners, which we're going to explore in this episode. So thank you. Mary for joining me and agreeing to chat on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah, it's great to great to talk again. Um just I suppose a little bit of background about um our history of where we met first. It's a long distant memory if it's even in your in your memory at this stage. But um I competed in a, a TV garden design show back in Ireland when I was still a vet student. Um would you believe it's twelve years ago now? It's two thousand and eight, yeah. which is mad. I looked that up uh, last night, Mary, and um, found some very embarrassing pictures of us on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I did. (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) I looked about 12, I think. (laughs) And um, you were uh, resplendent in quite hippy-dippy-ish clothes. You look great. That's right. That's great. Yeah. And then I kind of reconnected with you, I suppose, when I saw your Facebook um, page um, about kind of restoring the land and um, these uh, this new movement that you're part of, which we'll get to in a second. But um, I think you've what your reaction when I said hello on there was one of kind of like, oh God, I've put those dark days behind me, <laughs> <laughs> which I found quite hilarious because you are. What do you mean when you say you're a reformed garden designer? Um, I suppose I kind of after years of of trying to figure out how I could keep earning a living, but, um, you know, still kind of not damage the earth, I realized I can't. (laughs) Right. That's a difficult position to be in. (laughs) I eventually um, had an experience, um, which we'll get to, I suppose, whenever you want to talk about where the arc, but um, that that, that made me realize I had to stop. I had to stop. controlling the land and I had to try and ask people to like you said earlier become guardians of the land rather than gardeners and to, to to set the land free if you're not growing food in it to give it back to nature because we don't need yeah. it anymore I think the time for gardens is gone um it's 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 gone we don't have time for people to come to terms with you know um losing control or losing ownership um of you know that feeling people have that they own their piece of land and all that yeah and it's actually something to be tidied and yeah. shaped into a, a very contrived thing right yeah but whereas that's not what the land itself wants to be and the constant you know deciding what we're going to clothe the earth's skin with you know what's fashionable all those things when actually there's 5,000 weed seeds in every square foot of soil. And if we just left her alone, they're the things that she would push up and grow because that's how she supports all the creatures in her ecosystem. And, and unless 
that basic line of of native plants is is available then the whole ecosystem collapses that's where it all starts and we keep putting in plants based on what we think is pretty yeah but we're in an absolute crisis of collapse of nature biodiversity collapse um that nobody really talks about so much they talk about climate change and they argue about climate change but you cannot argue about the loss of species and the fact that we're losing 150 to 200 species to extinction every single day and that's completely down to us so i just think you know nobody is offering anybody any solutions to this but i Mm -hmm. think i think you know, one really powerful solution is to, is to give your land back to nature and embrace all the families that come to live there. And it, it really is an empowering and wonderful thing, as opposed to controlling your land and turning it into some kind of a pretty feature, because that's just pointless. Yeah, yeah. But that, I suppose, culture is so ingrained in people's minds, isn't it? Um, and we were talking just before we started recording about Ireland, you know, and the kind of almost old school attitudes to um, a weed or a pest or um, even just wildlife in general everything's um, it can be a bit depressing because things kind of get hacked back and mown and tidied and people see gardening or looking after their land as chopping things back and and keeping everything very much under human control don't they so I think it's a bit of a would be a bit of a struggle to kind of change those hearts and minds and say just let it go would you agree oh yeah no it's really tough over here for sure. Um, yeah. There's a lot of really bright lights and there's a lot of people that really want to do something good, but there's also, you know, we're way behind in so many ways. We're way behind England, um, way behind to so many places because we, 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 for some reason, the Irish psyche, it just, I don't know if it's because, and I don't, I don't know, this is psycho babble really, but I don't know if it was because, we were, you know, disenfranchised, you know, from the land, from the land, or, and yeah. um, or whether it was the famines, the genocides, I don't know what it was that caused the Irish to hate the land or hate nature or distrust us, but there is a sense that there is a loss of connection with nature here, which is really strong and yes there's a really strong connection with the magic in nature do you know yeah um yeah so i i don't know what it is that's just all psychobabble i haven't a clue but it 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 is strong you know the the kind of need to control it the need to you know to move out of the beautiful old you know thatched cottages rather than doing them up and bringing more light into them they build you know 1970s bungalows and let everything fall apart so i know with <laughs> cord lines on the lawn mary oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big frost about 10 years ago killed a lot of them after didn't it it did i'd love them should i hadn't a hope um no <laughs> honestly it's just it's just i can't bear gardens now i think that's what happens when you come over to our side of the fence you look at them as yeah. lost opportunities for life I know. I'm loving what I'm loving about this lockdown scenario we're in is seeing lawns blooming with daisies and clover and buttercups and people aren't out mowing them and the council aren't out mowing them over here. And yeah, well, you're over there. Over here, people are going completely cracked. It's like it's the only thing they can control. So they're just oh, really? going mad altogether. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rubbing it in now. Sorry. No, it's um, where I live in London is pretty Greenborough and uh, it's 
fantastic for for biodiversity. The council yeah. are pretty good um, in terms of what they're doing. But yeah, I I feel your pain. I think <laughs> I go home sometimes and I find it very depressing to see concrete and um, mown monoculture lawn everywhere, and that's it. Yeah, I know. Pretty bad. Yeah, is astroturf a trend over there in gardening now? I, to be honest, I don't want to know if it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just lay your lawn in plastic. That'll do. Awful, awful. Um, I think, yeah, we do have, I think, an obsession with control and neatness, not only in the gardens, but on a kind of a, a larger scale and how we've um, managed the land for food production as well, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. We've kind of lost the plot, basically, yeah. 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 Now, would you describe um, that kind of letting go and um, we are the ARC movement as similar to rewilding or are there subtle differences? Yeah, well, it's based on the concept of rewilding, but it's quite different because it has to be, you know. Uh, so yeah. the where the ARC came about when I was looking at my window one day and I saw, you know, a fox run past and yeah. a couple of hares chasing the fox a few seconds later. And then, you know, that was unusual in itself. But then I saw you know, a hedgehog or maybe a couple of hedgehogs scuttling along under the ditch again in the same direction a little while. In the daytime, right? In the daytime in the winter when, you know, they should be hibernating. So I um, I went back away towards the direction they were running from and there was a digger had gone into this field across the road at the end of my lane. It's a country lane. Mm. Somebody had got a planning permission to build a house at the top of the field and they'd gone in and they'd done what everybody does and they'd cleared out the field, which had been this thicket of wild gorse and brambles and, you know, hawthorn and blackthorn and also total haven for wildlife. And without any thought for any of those creatures, they just went in and turned it into an into a lawn like and I stood there in absolute horror and thought oh my god I've done this so many times so that was the end of it so it just reminded me of the story of Noah's Ark but like you know I'm not religious it's not that it's just that image but you know so I call it acts of restorative kindness to the earth and it's we are the ark because I want everybody to feel part of it like a patchwork quilt you know yeah um but what I'm asking people to do is yeah to you know, the basic principles of arcing, we call it arcing, is is um, similar to rewilding. Like you take out any non-native species if you can. Yeah. Um, you know, even if you can only give a patch of your garden back, then give it back. Even if it's only a windowsill full full of, you know, native weed seeds, that's enough. Yeah. You know? But what I'm saying to people is um, the principles are similar in that you, you take out all non-native invasive species um you which in your definition are weeds <laughs> no 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 the opposite to weed. oh sorry yes yes Do you know yes. a weed is a plant in the wrong place or a plant you don't want really that's the definition isn't it i never thought of it like that actually that's wonderful sean um, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'd have to get rid of yeah so i don't i don't want any plants in there that don't have any benefit to yeah. the ecosystem that they're part of you know, um, so I, and I think quite what, sorry to interrupt, but what people don't understand or, or kind of realize is the native plants and trees and things are, you know, everything's evolved with them where they're native and where that ecosystem kind of fits together. But you bring in non-native things, you know, the, the tiniest insects don't feed on those trees and then don't support um, all the other kind of levels of the food chain. Isn't that right? Isn't that it? Yeah, it's the local food web has evolved yeah. alongside these plants and mostly 
insects are 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 have evolved to be very plant specific so there might only be one native plant that they can survive on and if that isn't available then they they can't reproduce and yeah because we've had a massive like something like 93 percent reduction in insect populations and when we get to 100 percent, we 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 don't get to stay here anymore you know that's no that's the frightening thing that uh, no one is, is realizing talking it. about it it's just like what the hell are they worrying about what are they thinking about if we we don't have a planet to live on that's viable then you know what are we going to go do live with trump on mars i i no yeah <laughs> It's the it's oh the horror of that uh, that thought. Um, I think it's the um, short term gain mindset, isn't it? It's just oh, do you know what? This won't be a problem for for me because I'll be long gone. And I think people are just very living in the present. And they don't as re- well. I, they don't. On, they yeah. don't realize that we've only got about five to ten years max before the ecosystems collapse. That's that's the problem. Yeah. So this whole thing of Usher not going to affect me, they're so wrong. We're we're yeah. we're running out of time so quickly. And there's no leaders really not really, certainly not in Ireland, um, not in England, um no. not in America. I, I mean I, I I can only name maybe the New Zealand lady, the Icelandic. Yeah, I was going to say New Zealand is, um, yeah, they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, but over here there's they're just lobbied so well and they're so conservative and closed there's just no hope um so i'm asking people to step up themselves um but before the arc project there hasn't really been anything that 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 people can do in their own space you know other than recycle and you know yeah that's not really going to help and not hinder obviously but it it's not it's not positive you know we, we um so anyway, back to the principles of the arc. So the other thing is that, you know, unlike rewilding, like, you know, we can't bring wolves back into a suburban garden. So, you know, you kind of have to deal with the fact that a working ecosystem needs all the creatures in place for it to be, yeah. you, know, a, a, you know, a working e- ecosystem. Because, you know, if we just, like, if, if you know, if you don't have, grazers like deer then the brambles completely take over because normally they eat the young shoots um yeah you know if you don't have you know rooters like um pigs, you know, and... pigs or wild boars or whatever then yeah. you don't have exposure you know the the, the exposure to those annual the seed bank and everything yeah every yeah. year they, they need places to pop up and they're only going to find those places through those um activities of of those mammals and so what i ask is that we have to be people to become all those missing ecosystem services so you have to become the wolf become the boar become the whatever you have that you're missing and and so a big part of part of arcing is to kind of create layers of ecosystem development even in smaller space so like to have like you know to have a wetland or a pond you have to create that you know because more than likely not going to be there or um you know dead to allow dead wood and create dead hedges and um you know um and to clear back scrub encroaching on a pond over time and things like that you have to be you have to be active so you're still very much involved and you're still very much working as part of it but yeah 
So it sort of maybe straddles um, the line between kind of active conservation and rewilding. It's kind of a, it, it, it can't be just leave it with no human intervention. There has to be a little bit because we're missing some of those kind of keystone species in the system aren't we yeah exactly so that's what our thing is and but you know whatever level you can offer is 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 gratefully received by the earth you know i mean yeah i i I have a great friend joe and i was up with him yesterday and joe completely understands um you know the situation we're in but he's a vet um, and he's from they're of, good people those yeah yeah, yeah. No, they're, <laughs> he's from farming background and he um he still can't get his head around letting his land go wild and not be tidy like and I'm looking at him going Joe what are you talking about you know how, how can you not be on board with this you know what's what are you yeah. missing? what are you missing here what and I can just see his brain just grinding to a halt he just just can't get his head around it and 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 for those of us that can, this is a really positive and yeah. I have a, a slightly different theory, I guess, on um, you know why Irish culture really is so much about like hacking the land back and and um, destroying it. I don't know so much that it's about hatred of nature. I think it might be because we were disenfranchised from the land and because land is so important to us as a kind of. Um, not necessarily wealth indicator, but kind of status and um, family and history mm-hmm. um, tied to the land, that there's almost a, a pride in it. And if they've been taught for generation after generation that, you know, a tidy looking farm is is a status symbol, it's very hard to give that up and allow it to become scruffy or run down. Oh, because no. yeah. I think you'll agree, you know, yeah. Irish culture is like, what will the neighbours think? And, what, you know, they'll all start talking if I, if to Farmer Joe's son lets the land go absolutely mad and it looks really scruffy. I know. I should look. I grew up on a farm and my dad used to make us go out every summer and pull bouclons, you know, ragwort because, yeah. um, you know, because, well, most of it was shame-based, really. You know, he didn't want to do any rags, yeah. you know? It's like a, a beacon of your laziness on the land to your neighbours, right? Yeah, our, our rushes, they hated rushes, you know? Yeah, oh, God, yeah. Bad land. And yeah, you're probably right. It's it's a shame-based thing, really. And actually, what I'm trying to do is to change that mindset and make people ashamed to be so greedy as to take all this land for themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a big ask, I know, but your God, we may as well. You're, you're on a mission. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving the stuff you're sharing online and, and that. But like, where, this all comes from... Um, the, the rise of industrial agriculture, right? It's, mm. We've kind of got it ingrained in our brains that you know, the population is increasing and what we should do is make every square inch of land productive and grow the most food we can. And that's where we got went down a, a slippery slope of using chemicals and pesticides and herbicides and things, yeah. you know, blanket um, application of them that's where things started to collapse in terms of the health of the starting with the soil and then obviously every every level up on the food chain isn't it yeah basically yeah yeah, yeah. culture is one of the major problems that industrial agriculture forestry and fishing that's in my humble opinion that is what is killing everything on the planet yeah yeah what's the solution is organic farming the solution and just doing away with the chemicals 
No, that's not enough at all. No, I mean it's a start, but it certainly is not isn't isn't nearly far enough. So yeah, because they're still using the same methods of like tilling the soil and leaving the soil bare and and you know releasing carbon and and energy expenditure is high in those systems as well, isn't it? Yeah, and it's monocultures again, and yeah. uh, it it isn't that is never going to work. And and yeah. um, and it, look. At some point, everything will either collapse and everything will change and hopefully we'll have enough time then. But it'd be so nice to do it now. Before Get in before the, before the fall, yeah. Yeah, yeah. this like yeah. This, this thing, people were talking about, you know, viruses being a pandemic on the way, but sure, it didn't change anything, you know, but it's no. now that everything has, has stopped, you know, so maybe... Maybe we'll have the same situation. Maybe we'll be lucky enough to get this chance, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Um, I'm already feeling a little pessimistic about things just going back to normal and no lessons learned, but we'll see what happens. I hope not. Yeah. 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 Um, so if organic um, kind of farming methods and things, they're not the answer, obviously, but um, we are seeing... Uh, food production move towards kind of more earth-friendly regenerative practices, aren't we? Yeah, so regenerative farming is really the way forward. Local local food production is just like, I mean, farmers markets, local food production in regenerative ways is, yeah. is the only way forward. That and permaculture. I mean, the, the, all the answers are there. I mean, permaculture is very heady. You know, I'm, I'm not very good at reading sort of loads of information. So I find permaculture... Mm-hmm. Um, difficult but I know that's just my thickness but I, I do know that <laughs> all solutions are within those structures and regenerative farming has proven to be you know kind of a great alternative for farmers but I still think that people have to consider that we can't keep transporting food around the world no matter how it's produced it's going to have to become a very simple system that we we survive on you know so eating locally and seasonally as well is really important isn't it in our own like personal choices and how we eat and what we pick up in the supermarket um i've found myself in recent years you know picking up fruit and veg in the aisles and thinking where the hell has this come from and it's like asparagus from mexico and all this kind of stuff it's like why the hell you don't eat asparagus that time of year. Like just, you know, it's delicious when it's in season here. Don't be importing it from Mexico. (laughs) It's insane, isn't it? It is insane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful things after popping up in the world. Like, I don't know if you've come across neighbor food, have you? Uh, I haven't, no. What's that? Neighbor food is a really cool new kind of um, local producer site, which is I don't know if it's based in Ireland, but you you basically you sign up to it, um, yeah. and and then they tell you know they tell you what they have available from local chemical free food farmers, and well. you order online, and then you go and collect it in a local car park somewhere. So you know it's it's just it's just amazing because the producer receives eighty percent of the income. Yeah. You no, know, the the host, the person who has, you know, who 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 organizes it gets ten percent of the income, and neighbor food then gets the other ten percent for development, you know, of the whole concept and supporting members and hosts, and so that's that has cut out all those supermarkets and middlemen and transport. It's cut them out. It's, yeah, that sounds great. It's a I very just... simple concept, and and um, those. Like, okay, so it's just a matter of, 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 of blending those concepts 
with the concepts of regenerative farming or, you know, permaculture or whatever, you know, food forests. Um, but even if we get that far, that would be great, you know. I mean, yeah. So one one producer may only be producing parsley, but they get to sell their parsley. You know, it might only have. That's a, it. It's just, it's really good. It's really yeah, good. and you're a big um, advocate of you know everyone should be if they have any kind of soil or space, and they're not willing to turn it over to nature, or maybe the other way around, they should be growing their own food. And if they're not growing their own food, then turning it over to nature is, is the yeah. way to heal the planet, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I rent a house at the moment. I'm, I I have five acres, which I'm, you know, eventually when maybe when I'm 85, we'll build a house on. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, I'm, you know, turning it into an ark and I've been working on it for years. But um, yeah. in while I'm renting, I, I, he's allowed me a tiny patch of land to grow food. And he's, he's really cool, my landlord, you know, but you know, yeah. initially he was spraying Roundup and now he's like keeping bees and doesn't do any of really? that anymore. But he's, but, but I take the little patchy and I've expanded it and expanded it every year. And he doesn't, he doesn't mind. He doesn't just but, but doing I, the, doing the edging of the beds and just <laughs> taking more and more and more and more. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a strip of arc in between every strip of vegetables, you know? Yeah. Great. And well, perfect pest control, right? Exactly. Yeah. Very simple yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, and you talked about forest gardening. Can you just explain a bit to, to listeners what that is? Yeah, so forest gardening, um, it works much better in warm climates. So in Ireland and England, um, it, it's it's it like M- Martin Crawford has a wonderful example somewhere. What's what's the name of the county he's, he's in? Can you remember? No. Oh, right. OK. Um, okay. Sorry. Martin Crawford has a wonderful example. Um, he, 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 he I can't think of where which county he's in, but he has a wonderful forest garden that people can go and visit and he has a nursery and everything but basically it's it's a permaculture concept um perennial plants you're growing um food crops um on multiple layers so you can create a lot of food in the small space so you start with the canopy trees and then you have the understory trees and then you have shrub layer perennial layer um ground cover layer root crops and climbers eventually so it's, it takes a long time to develop it was so we've been developing one in north wexford in my friend claire and joe's place for many years i followed them on instagram they have a great uh, great account yeah it. forest garden it's very cool but the amount yeah. of life there and the amount of abundance they have is amazing but it it does take time and you know we we didn't know our arse from our elbows when we started off so we we, we you know it's it's a really trial and error <laughs> trial and error learning curve because you know a lot of the books that have been written about forest gardening are for warmer climates and over here yeah. You need to have things spaced much further apart just to make the most of the light, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so the trees will be, you know, fruit and nut trees and things. Everything that you put in almost is um, going to provide something edible, isn't that the kind of concept? Yeah. And then you also mix them with native plants so that you have um, a balanced system, you know, yourself. That's Yeah. And then that brings in the kind of beneficial insects that then feed on kind of the harmful insects and, and basically have natural pest control systems in place yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I've just come um, from, I'm working from home at the moment, but I didn't get out yesterday and I needed to get out today. So I've just come from my allotment, Mary. And um, everyone is, you know, busy, self-isolating, but doing their daily exercise up there. But the awful thing that I heard, the noise I heard was a few of my neighbours shaking their slug pellet bottles all over their crops. 
And I'm like, why are we still using blue slug pellets? They've actually been banned over here, but um, there's still oh, stockpiling yeah. going on, I think. Oh, man. Um, and I, I spoke to a friend of mine on a previous episode, Mark Cummings. We actually, we mentioned you as well. Um, and he was explaining slug pellets are just bad news for various reasons, but they actually attract slug, slugs. That's part of their their way of working, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> so these guys, neighbours of mine, are, are literally scattering like, a ring of blue pellets around their tender little uh, crops that they've been nurturing in their greenhouses and planting them out. And it's like, you're just going to take the slugs off my uh, organic plot because <laughs> yeah. they're all going to be attracted to your, your slug pellets. Yeah. Oh. Um, but there's, you win some, you lose some. I think I have managed to get three ponds installed on my row of allotments oh, and we have frogs and newts now. So, oh, well um, That's yeah, one. so yeah. little, little victories. <laughs> They're big victories for those frogs and newts. Big victories. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. My plot is absolutely buzzing with uh, with wildlife. And we're lucky over here. We've got slow worms as well, which eat oh, the slugs. I love them. Do we not have them in Ireland? They're, there's a population in the Burren, which was introduced. Um, oh. They don't know who by, but someone thought it'd be a good idea to bring some over. So right. there's a small population somewhere in the Burren. Um, I saw one in West Curry when I lived in West Curry, and, and nobody's ever believed me. <laughs> well, no, you could have. Um, so things are things are cropping up in odd places. Um, yeah. I have a friend over there who's involved with the Herpetological Society of Ireland. Okay. Um, so we've obviously. Am I right in this? Yeah, we've only got one native reptile in Ireland, the common lizard. Yeah. Um, and they do surveys of them and things. But um, he's very into like frogs and newts and, and um, snakes and things. But he said, actually, it's surprising what shows up because people do bring stuff and release them into their gardens and things. So yeah. you may have a, a little, you may have discovered a tiny little colony of slow worms in, in Kerry. <laughs> you, you wouldn't know. There's yeah. weird things happening. Um, but obviously that has a big impact on, on local ecosystems as well, introducing non-native species. Yeah. No, not a good idea. <laughs> cracked carry on. But anyway, to just look yeah. and see that. Yeah. It's good to ask you, my son is banging a hurling ball against the wall outside. Can you hear it? No, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's <laughs> very loud in here, so that's fine. I just checked. It's fine. It makes it authentically Irish, Mary. We're grand. <laughs> Um, cool. So, um, we are the Ark. I can, I've seen it. I've been following, um, your, your social media for a while. And I think the impression I get is that, you know, it is a movement that's growing in popularity and in number and in strength. Yeah. Has that surprised you? Um, not, not really. No, I mean, it's, um, no, I, I kind of, no, I always imagine things were, are going to work. <laughs> Good optimism. <laughs> we need that, yeah. and it does work. So yeah, no, it's amazing how how, how many um, people. But the the wonderful thing is, I hear about people coming across signs. So one of the things we ask people to do is to put up a sign, a homemade sign, because we're not selling anything to anyone. You just make yeah. yourself a sign saying this is an ark, and put you know we are the ark dot com underneath, so that people can go and look it up and see what's yeah. going on and that explains why it's a messy place or why you know it takes away that shame that we spoke about earlier that people yeah that's it's an intentional yeah it's way to manage to manage the land yeah and i'm proud of what i'm doing you know and yeah but but so apparently people are coming across these signs all over the states um some um, good guerrilla marketing there huh yeah <laughs> it's, it's 
they're just kind of popping up everywhere, which is, and people kind of get the concept because of the image of the arc. They get the concept immediately. Um, And so, and, you know, and like say places like we have, we have arcs as big as 1500 acres in America, um, down to window boxes in Norway or, you know, there's, we have a, we have a, a map on our website, which people don't generally want to put their arcs on because, um, you know, people like their privacy and all that, but yeah. we just put it up there for people to to do if they wanted to, and yeah. I have to put them all on by hand. So I'm, I'm I don't mind that there's not way too many on it because I'd be yeah. asked all the time. But um, yeah, so that's fun to see them popping up and um, all over the world, all over the world. Yeah, which is really amazing and. Yeah, I mean, it should it should be growing faster, and it's probably my fault because I I I need to drive it a little harder in some ways, and I'm I'm just not very good at that stuff. So I'm kind of hoping people do it themselves, and that's why I call it "We Are the Ark" rather than "I Am the Ark." It's like an inclusive community, almost, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's really, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Have you um have you visited or um kind of read about any of the kind of large scale like? official rewilding projects so like the central europe ones or the ones over here like nep have you heard of the nep estate i love nep no i i try not to travel anymore i gave up traveling a couple of years ago really um yeah i had to i had to travel once um late last year and that's kind of as far as i'm concerned i'm done with that now unless i really yeah. have to um so no i haven't been anywhere um uh i'm kind of i'm kind of a bit of a homebird so i just yeah. i just look at things from afar have you um have you read Isabella Tree's Wilding? Oh about God, yeah. I love it. It's amazing, book. isn't it? Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Um, so Nep is only about an hour and a half from me. Oh, you're so lucky. Um, which is brilliant. So I've gone down the last couple of years and um, missing the missing the trip this year for sure. Oh, um, God, yeah. Really inspirational like, place. She's writing a book about rewilding small gardens now. Apparently. Is she? Yeah, so that's good. That'll change things because people. That's great. Yeah, it's get it's just getting more and more exposure. I think in the media as well, isn't it? Yeah, because um, so. it's an obvious solution. You know, it's an obvious yeah. solution because even tree planting isn't going to work. You know. Um, yeah, it's kind of seen as um, the be all and end all with some people, isn't it? Oh, we've planted you know fifty thousand trees, and it's like, well, they're all going to be the same age and almost monoculture of trees as well, right? Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. And um, tell us about your own book, The Garden Awakening. Well, what's there to tell? Um, I, <laughs> it's all your all your philosophy and hints and tips for for landowners, right, of any size. Yeah, that's based on growing food and you know making a bond with your land and kind of working with magic and intention and you know the shapes and patterns of nature. Um, yeah. Um, but I kind of moved beyond that into giving it all back if we can but I have been trying to think of a compromise because people still want to interact with their land so my compromise now is um I'm building a flagship arc in Westport House in west of Ireland Mayo oh yeah and um you know that's 450 acres of rewilding but um which is quite big for Ireland you know yeah yeah um we're we're also creating these three kind of intentional kind of arcs within those spaces like in you know in 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 the kind of the more gardeny places kind of so i'm i'm developing them into kind of intentional magic places which yeah uh, which nature then decides what grows there so that's quite challenging for people you know um but it's a good compromise i think um to try and 
help people understand how to let go a little, you know? Yeah, yeah. And are you still, I know you're not, you know, designing gardens, but are you still kind of um, offering your services to try to try and provide arcs for people or help people to build their own? Yeah, I do that. I mean, I, I did, I did an arc in Mexico today. Um, I do, oh, wow. I do it by Skype basically. And um, yeah, I just help people design those spaces, help, you know, create as much potential for life within their spaces as possible, as well as creating, you know, deciding where to grow food, deciding where, you know, where to be, you know, have places for their kids as well. Um, you know, it's hard for people to, to, to integrate all those concepts if, if, if it's, you haven't done it before. So yeah, I can still help people with that, but, um, I don't design just gardens anymore. I, I'm not going to be sticking in lavenders or grasses for anyone ever again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, I'm done with that now. It's very much a, um, it's very much a different concept. It's designing an arc is not the same as designing a garden, you know, it's a different world. Mm. I've had um I've had the same it's interesting you say that about kind of lavender and things you know a few conversations I've had with garden design friends about the the age-old debate native versus ornamentals and it seems like some of them are almost brainwashed I guess by their education that appearance matters first and some of them kind of argued back that no actually like with climate change and the changing world and uh non-native species you know getting into new um, ecosystems. Actually, it's fine because it's kind of a form of um, evolution that, you know, our plantscape is changing. And I was like, it's not. We're literally bringing in non-native species with no biodiversity value. But I just found it kind of worrying, you know, is that where their education is sending them? Well, there's there's this school of thought um, that nature, you know, her intelligence is pulling these non-natives into our assist into her system and I, I'm, I just okay I just cannot go along with that you know I just can't go along. I just have a very strong reaction to that we don't have time to wait to for see everything. what happens like we don't have time you know the creatures yeah. don't have time to evolve they don't have time so we cannot go along with that we actually have to step in and grow up and start looking after her now and support her to recover because we are the worst thing that's ever happened to her so we have to try and look after her now because that whole concept of oh you know these plants they have a reason i just it makes me really cross you know me too i was i was actually like i'm not going to get into this argument because i'm (laughs) in a furious rage internally now (laughs) i just couldn't believe it (laughs) I mean, the thing that that never look people are. It doesn't take very long for people to to disconnect. Right? It's called shifting baseline syndrome. Yes. You know, so, so like you know, our parents would have remembered a time when there was butterflies everywhere. You know, the great great grandparents might have remembered a time when you know a swarm of birds or butterflies. There was corncrakes in every field. Well, yeah, and 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 the skies would go dark from the amount of creatures flying overhead. Sometimes. Mm. Or, you know, we don't we don't have those memories. We don't remember the amount of life there was. So, no. so, so these people that are making up these concepts, some some of it I think is like to kind of make themselves feel better about the. I doctor, think it's totally that, yeah. Which you can, which I can understand because people feel really powerless and and it, it's scary for them. But one thing that does work, Sean, and is is to talk to them about 
nestling birds and mm. how you know a, a, a nest of baby birds so there might be I don't know six six baby birds in in a nest and there's a mum and dad collecting food from dawn to dusk for six weeks to feed these things yeah and they need between 300 and 800 larvae and spiders 80 percent larvae and 20 percent spiders baby food yeah. soft food yeah. to feed them they can't feed them seeds it's just no. unbelievable to me so the thing the thing is that those larvae they will only eat their plant the native food plant yeah. their plant partners that they've evolved over millennia to connect with they don't they can't hop from um a nettle onto a lavender and think oh sure i'll eat this instead it doesn't work like that the plants yeah. have really good mechanisms for defense and they've only evolved to beat those one mech that one mechanism in that plant so without yeah. those plants being there there is no larvae you know and if you if you're a family of birds trying to find three to eight hundred larvae a day that's a huge amount of work and they yeah. only they only cl collect those larvae within 50 to 100 meters of their nest yeah, yeah. So where are they going to find them if we don't provide them with these islands of sanctuary you know we, yeah. and those islands need to be connected up I was just about to say the one thing we didn't touch on was yeah. you know connectivity of habitats is so important isn't it yeah but even even it is so important but even if they're just islands for now they're they're islands of life and eventually when people cop on and start to realize that actually the most important priority for us is to look after this planet, then when that happens, and it will happen, then those yeah. islands of diversity will be the seeds from which all that change can come. So that's why they're important. Even if they're small, they're important. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant point. Um, to end then, Mary, a question that I'm asking lots of my guests when I have them on. Um, I think most of us uh, in common have a, a degree of eco-anxiety. It's pretty obvious uh, from from chatting uh, today. But um, what would your advice be to people to kind of try to not feel overwhelmed? It's very easy, isn't it, to be um, a pessimist or kind of just get all this bombardment of, of bad news about the planet um, kind of takes its toll. Do you have any tips on how we can overcome that kind of sense of pessimism. Yeah, uh, build an arc, you know. Great, um, yeah. Because it, <laughs> it, because it's just so, it's such a relief when you see how quickly nature recovers. You see yeah. that and, 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 you know, you start to feel this really strong sense of, of joy and relief that you are doing something positive, even if your neighbor next door is spraying everything within an inch of its life. Um, that, like or at putting least, rings of blue slug pellets around everything. Yeah, but at least you're doing the right thing. And, you know, if you can put up signs for all the hedgehogs saying, don't eat the blue pellets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or don't eat the, the dried up slugs <laughs> after they've eaten them. Oh, Christ, yeah, that's, that's difficult enough, but... Um, no, the arc thing really, what it does, it empowers people. And then yeah. from 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 having no power, they suddenly walk out and they see all these green spaces that are kept tidy for no other reason than the councils have never been challenged. Yeah. They've never had any other ideas. And they start to put up signs saying this could be an arc. Um, and everything changes you know they start to get empowered and they see how much they could do and they start to create community food gardens with their neighbors yeah. um, 
you know, everything changes when you empower someone one little bit. That's all you need to make them feel like it's not hopeless anymore. And and so that's why I find this whole art movement really helpful because of that equins. Like before I started this, I had stopped reading papers or newspapers or articles because I, I couldn't take it anymore. Whereas now I, I, I'm I feel very empowered and I'm I, I'm like a warrior. Like I just like don't you know, I'm happy to read any of those things because Well you've got more um more reserve yeah. in your in your battery, don't you? To and fight I need to it. know the information so that I can fight it. Yeah. And yeah. and and nature will just recover if we just give her a chance. It's help but it's not letting her off. It's actually you know, we have to step in and help. It's it's our job to help now. That's guardian, rather than gardener. That's what I'm always saying, you know. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So where can people uh, learn more? Obviously, we are the ark. Is that uh, we are the ark dot com? No, we are the ark dot org. Yeah. Dot org. Yeah. Perfect. And then um, you're on various social media yeah. uh, platforms. So yeah. um, your Instagram is at wild Mary Mary. That's right. My my yeah. website is marymary.ie. So that's, yeah. that's where that came from. Yeah. And let's build an arc on Instagram as well. Yeah. And it. then on Facebook, you've a rather long one, Mary Reynolds, reformed garden designer and nature activist. Isn't that right? <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> it's grand. It does what it says on the tin. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to give another plug for that. Those friends of yours or clients of yours who've become friends, wow. um, Irish Forest Garden. I love their account. I think it's just brilliant, um, it's inspirational account of like what happens when you take care of your land and, and as you say, give it back to nature with oh, a little bit of management. It's amazing what they have there. I mean, they they went from having a horse paddock to yeah. um, now, and there was nothing living there, Ferdia. Yeah. And there was nothing living in their in their land until four years, five years ago, is it? Um, right. We started the forest garden, and now they have everything. When the ark, they they put in an ark about a year and a half ago, and they've everything from peregrine falcons to hedgehogs to um, every type of insect life um, you can imagine. Wow. And bird yeah. life, and it's just hopping, and it is really inspiring. I, I love I love their account. It's really working. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Well, look, Mary, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and catching up 12 years later. <laughs> After, um, I'll just say at the end, I, I appreciated you back in those days because I don't, I built a wildlife garden and I planted nettles and things in it. And I think you were the only judge who didn't go, what the heck is this guy on? Um, you had a little knowing glint in your eye that I was doing the right thing. <laughs> Oh, so yeah great to reconnect and um in in my near future i talked to you about this um i'm hoping to to move more into rewilding maybe uh if i do get a, a project up and going in the next few years we might get you on the boat over to to yeah. visit well, I, i'd happily come over on the boat <laughs> brilliant it'll be in in the southwest so you won't have too far to travel from from Wexford. well done i hope that goes well keep keep in touch and let me know I will do. Thanks so much again for this. All right. No bother, Sean. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast with myself, Sean McCormack, produced and edited by Thomas Dinas. If you're enjoying the series so far, I would really appreciate it if you consider donating to our Patreon link below that will really help us out with producing the podcast and covering the costs involved. See you next episode.